even when I was just hearing the injuries from the surgeons that operated on me, I think I was just an in initial shock. And I couldn't believe that I was actually still alive, but let alone, I now have all these injuries. It was the most devastating things you could like hear. My anxiety went to the roof. Hello, this is Al Levin, the creator and host of The Depression Files. If you enjoy the podcast and have found value in the show, please check out my Patreon page. There, you'll be able to support me financially with as little as a dollar a month. Your support will help me offset the cost of the podcast hosting site, maintain and update my equipment, and support the amount of time that it takes in order to produce the show. You can find my Patreon page at patreon.com slash thedepressionfiles. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash thedepressionfiles. In addition, it would help me out greatly if you could take a minute to rate and review the show. Thank you for considering to support me in these ways. And now, to the show. Welcome to The Depression Files, an interview format show in which you'll hear stories of men who have struggled with depression and or other mental illnesses. In addition, you'll hear deep dive conversations with guest experts on various topics related to mental health. Topics such as depression and other mental illnesses, medication, suicide awareness and prevention, our current mental health system, and of course, the stigma that surrounds mental illnesses. I believe that both sharing stories and educating people are ways to chip away at the stigma. I'm your host, Al Levin, and I want to thank you for tuning in. Let's get started. Hello, this is Al Levin, the host of The Depression Files. I'm really excited. Today on the line, we have Corey Dixon. Corey is an actor, a public speaker, and a mental health advocate. Corey, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Corey, I think I saw just some of your advocacy work and stuff on Twitter, and I started to look more up about you, and it just sounds like you're doing some incredible stuff, and I really wanted to reach out to you because of that, and... Uh, didn't even really realize at first, but it seems like you're you're a fairly prominent actor as well. Uh yeah, you know, like from the mental health aspect of things, I I myself I battle with panic attacks, anxiety, and especially depression. Um, and obviously, I have a lot of friends and family that have gone through similar stuff. So, I mean, mental health is something that I, you know, stand by, and obviously, uh, keep pushing people to look out for their mental health. And I mean, bottom line is like you always have to look out for your mental health and kind of do what's best for you. Um, and then from the actor standpoint, um, yeah, like I've done like a, quite a few TV shows, lots and lots of commercials um, and some ongoing projects right now as well. That's super cool. And, and I just love that, you know, you're a person who's known throughout Canada, I would imagine because of all of that. And you're actually utilizing your platform and your fame, if you want to call it fame, uh, just your, uh, notoriety as a platform and a way to share the, the good message and advocate around mental health. I love that. Thank you for your work. Yeah, no, for sure. I think, you know, best way to describe it is, yes, so I got, a lot of people know me throughout Canada and, and even some people in the U.S. as well. But the one thing is, is like a lot of people know me from like the shows and commercials and they'll come over to my Twitter because of that. And then I basically kind of, you know, promote the mental health aspect and whatnot and some people dig it and surprisingly some people don't like some people actually you know they they're more into like the entertainment side of things i do and whatnot and um 
you know, I'm not a bit, I'm not personally not a big fan of that. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm a mental health advocate. That's, you know, that's what I love talking about. Um, I love sharing my own struggles and battles. So it's like, if you're going to be here following me, then you better be along for the entire ride and not just part of it. Right. That's awesome. Um, yeah, like, uh, you know, it's, it, I battle with depression pretty badly. Uh, it's, it's, been with me for years ever since I was back in high school and probably even longer than that like even back when I was like a younger kid a younger kid and stuff like that I kind of you know my parents divorced when I was young um you know I got bullied in elementary school ended up getting bullied in high school and then and then basically you know all sorts of stuff happened after that so uh, you know uh before we dive into the depression and anxiety and other mental health struggles you've been dealing with uh, you yeah. mentioned how some people don't really like the fact that you're advocating around mental health and they want the entertainment side and you're really about the mental health side on your social media platforms. Do you actually have like some haters that, that actually tell you like quit doing this and, and stop advocating around these things or they just don't follow you, you think? I don't think I'd say haters. I would say that they probably just honestly don't understand the mental health aspect and how like how important it is and how serious it is. Right. And they kind of just kind of shove it to the side. And to be quite honest with you, I'm being honest. There have been people in the industry that haven't wanted to work with me because of my own struggles. Like, you know, wow. like they, they know that I've attempted you know, suicide and stuff like that. And they didn't end up wanting to work with me because of that. So, I mean, wow. um, it is a really real saying in the entertainment industry where like it's uh, i mean more and more people are talking about it It, exactly yeah it's the best way to word it and have people actually literally you know they haven't worked with you because of that or are these some of these possibly assumptions you're making oh they aren't doing that because uh no so there's obviously a couple people that like obviously you're kind of assuming but i i don't very often like to assume um best thing i can share is there have been a couple of industry people that have straight up told me that due to my mental health at that period of time that they weren't willing to work with me and it was it was it was kind of upsetting and i mean i kind of understand i i in a weird way i understand where they're coming from at the same time i don't because it was right after one of my suicide attempts and then i got um i got a message saying like i heard what happened to you and i heard you ended up in hospital and um, unfortunately, like due to your, like your health and stuff like that, we just don't think it's best that we work with you right now. Wow. And I was kind of like, I was kind of like, well, shouldn't that be me making the decision, the, like choice? Like, you know, it's like, I'm still able to, um, cope. It's just a matter of like, you know, I, I had this really bad episode and right. I was going through a lot at that time and, you know, I ended up stabilizing myself, right. Right. As I was getting that message Yeah. and, um, and, you know, they didn't want to work with me because they found out that I had a recent suicide attempt. Wow. So, I mean, I, I can I agree with you. I feel like that should come from you. And at least, uh, you know, if there had been a plan to work with you, allow that to happen. And of course, you know, if your mental health is impacting your acting or your work or you're showing up late because you can't get out of bed, like then they have a justifiable reason. Yeah, but, absolutely. Uh, so you mentioned uh, depression, anxiety, even panic attacks. And you mentioned that they started in high school and you said maybe even before that, looking back in hindsight, how early do you believe it all started? And what were some indicators looking back on it? So when I was in elementary school, the first time I really noticed that I, that I had these panic attacks, um, would have, would have been grade eight. 
I was helping it with kids with disabilities um, within the school. And um, I guess you can say that I just wasn't accepted and I was kind of pushed to the curb because I guess like at that point I was different. I wasn't hanging out with, you know, the classified cool kids or whatever. So, I mean, yeah, I got bullied. And, you know, when I went home at night, I remember like, especially in grade eight, just going home and like not sleeping well and having night terrors and stuff like that. And not at that time, I wasn't really putting two and two together and I really wasn't sure what was going on. But eventually my my parents gave me some like melatonin or whatever to like basically help me sleep, just like the strips on the tongue. Yeah. And that did, that did help me sleep properly. But I still had like lots of panic attacks um, when I was younger and stuff. And can you, you know, describe looking, one of those? Like, what is it like going through that panic attack? Uh, it's terrifying. Like, even to date, some of the panic attacks I get now now are just like, holy crap, like, am I, am I dying? Like, there's moments where, like, where I, you know, I have difficulty breathing. I wake up, like, out of the blue with a racing heart and, you know, can't breathe properly. And it's just, it's not fun. <laughs> yeah. Are you able to kind of talk yourself out of it to like tell yourself, okay, just a panic attack. I'm going to slow down my breathing. I'll be okay. Or are you not even able to think at that moment? Um, in the moment that it springs into action, I don't really think all that clearly, but then eventually like I come to and I'm like, okay, just, you know, take a breath and relax and sit down. And then I start to breathe and, you know, start to think about a little bit better, better thoughts and whatnot. That seems to help. Right. Right. And bringing you back to eighth grade, were you, so your parents gave you some melatonin to help you sleep and then did, did you share with them like the bullying that was happening or any of the school stuff that was difficult for you to deal with? Were you able to share with your parents or anybody at school? Uh, no, never. Uh, throughout all of grade eight, I never ended up sharing it. It was only actually, so if we fast forward to high schools, when I got really badly bullied and it got to the point where I did have to transfer high schools and it did get to a point where yes, I um, I I had to admit to my dad actually that that um, I was getting pretty badly bullied at high school and uh, in grade nine and I uh, sorry no, it was it was throughout most of my high school I was getting bullied and then it was about grade I think it was like either late grade eleven I I I know my final year of high school I transferred out to a different high school. Okay, wow. Can you share with us what some of that bullying was like? I mean, is this four or five people uh, around you at one time or is it just ongoing name calling what kinds of things were going on that with the bullying um so it was a lot of a lot of it was name calling and uh-huh. just a lot of uh, cyber bullying and stuff like that right but and it was all because of tv show stuff that i was doing at the time um really? but yeah but then um the whole transfer issue basically came from one incident that particularly happened where I was sitting in the cab and I, and I uh, a kid came up from behind me and grabbed my backpack and basically dragged me outside and essentially uh, beat me up on the front lawn down what, what they called the time Smokers Hill, which was like the um, the place where all the high school students would go to smoke. So it was kind of like out of the uh, the sight of any teachers or, or the, even the police were there and didn't see it. Um, wow. Yeah. And for like, apparently you know, no no known reason. No, it yeah, it was just like it was just because of the TV show stuff, and yeah. you know they, they they would tease me and stuff online, and and I would kind of like go back and say like why are you like why are you being harsh to me and stuff like that, and it it just it wasn't it didn't turn out pretty. Yeah. So like, 
which um, which in hindsight as an adult i mean in my mind i'm thinking that's all based on jealousy yeah i mean you could definitely sum it up to that i mean i definitely think that um not not condoning what they've done at all the bullies but i can also see that the bullies are most likely going through their own mental health battles, which right. I think that, you know, that a lot of, I don't like using the excuse of mental health for to do something like that. But at the same time, I can kind of see their side as well, where they're probably not in a good family state. They're not in a good state at home. And, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of relying on like drugs, alcohol, etc., And then they end up coming to high school and then, you know, taking it out on the, uh, the weak link, I guess you would say. Right. Right. Wow. That's awful. So you said you finally had to share and your dad knew you transferred your senior year. Was your senior year better? Uh, yeah, it was like when I finally transferred to my, to the new high school, I actually completely finished and I actually graduated with honors. So, um, that was, that was really awesome. Uh, because throughout most of my high school, um, I wasn't getting the best of grades because I did intentionally call home sick and say I want to go home and literally just went home and when I wasn't sick I just I just you know I was tired of all the the bullying and and harassment and stuff so I missed a lot of school because of that ah that's so hard to hear as I'm a public school administrator actually and I know that happens and it just breaks my heart thinking that somebody is faking illness and staying home because they're so scared of being bullied at school and uh you know we have to keep and, and it's so difficult these days. And you mentioned yourself, because I know you're a much younger lad than myself, but cyberbullying. And man, it's like kids these days can't get away from bullies 24 hours a day. Oh, I know. And it's getting like worse and worse, too. Like, I mean, like social media can be used for a lot of good, but it's also a lot of bad, too. I mean, like I'm 27 now and like I'm just watching all these new social media platforms coming out, like, for example, TikTok. Right. And I'm just kind of sitting back and thinking like, you know, how, how much like cyberbullying is is going on? And I'm sure there's a lot of it. Right. So, oh, I mean, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it's I sit back now and I'm like, wow, it's like I imagine me getting bullied in this generation. I would have <laughs> I would have been even more like, you know, right. uh, upset about everything. Yeah. So you mentioned acting even as young as high school. That's when you started your acting career. And what types of acting were you doing at that point? Yeah. So I technically started my acting career on the age of five, which um, was my, yeah, my, so when I was a baby, my parents threw me into the entertainment industry right away by literally um, putting me as a baby on like posters and stuff like that. So like, so like I was like a baby modeling and then, um, it was around the age of five that I started getting put into theater and trained into theater work and stuff like that. And then did some like theatrical plays throughout my younger years and going into high school, stayed in theater and continued doing theater. And then it wasn't until about high school, I would say about grade nine that I actually started, I signed up with an agency and I started doing stuff like commercials and TV shows and whatnot. That is really cool. So, so yeah. what happens after high school? Do you go on for more education? Yeah, so it's actually an interesting story. So I, um, I was still doing my acting stuff at the time. I never stopped that. But I actually got accepted to Humber for radio broadcasting. And I, and I was at Humber for a little bit. Um, I had some deterioration on my mental health. And I, um, I didn't want that to stop me. So what I did was... I signed up for some work with uh, Evan Off Radio Group, which is Z1035. And then I also ended up actually building, with the help of my dad at the time, my own my own online radio station called 401 Radio. And we actually 
built that up quite a bit. Like we had like over 20,000 followers on Twitter. We had quite a few listeners. We got some really awesome interviews with um, celebrities and whatnot. And we had actually a really awesome big uh, volunteer team. Like there was a lot of people like helping out with 401 Radio that just wanted to do it just because like, they wanted, they thought it was cool. They wanted to help out. We had a studio set up inside inside of my my family's business with like a full uh, full full broadcast console, RE20 microphones that with the help awesome. of with, with, with the help of my dad. And you know, I it. it it definitely helped improve my mental health because I thought that, you know, by me not finishing college, I I honestly thought that was going to be it for me. Um, so you because, ended up dropping out of college to do this radio work. Um. Yeah, it was primarily because of the mental health reasons. Yeah, and but, can you yeah. share with us what was going on with? You mentioned your mental health started to deteriorate. Can you say more yeah. about that? Yeah. So, I uh. I went into college with the idea that it was going to be mainly hands-on and stuff like that. And that's kind of like the best way that I personally learn how to learn, like with doing stuff hands-on. That's, you know, and yeah. I can do some paperwork and right now and whatnot. But I think it was just the overwhelming, you know, deadline dates of assignments and, you know, just the overwhelming kind of aspect of college. And I yeah. and it was just, it just became overwhelming for me personally. And I... I just couldn't, I don't know, I just, I couldn't handle it anymore. Like, I started having really bad panic attacks, and I, I just, I just, I, I guess you would use the words gave up, and I, I hate using that word because I don't like encouraging anybody to give up, but with that, I kind of just gave up with college, and I, um, you know, I, I moved on to doing my own thing, and it, 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 it was actually, in the long run, I think it was better, actually, to be honest. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I think, like, building my own platform and, and, you know, building my own kind of, I guess you would say entrepreneurial, you know, empire was awesome. And I didn't think foreign radio would actually kick off the way it did, but it did. And I was very happy with it, obviously, until I did have my significant physical trauma, which is when I actually decided to close down the radio station. And that was that was for other reasons we'll get into. Yeah. In a little bit here. <laughs> so, um, yeah, before we get into that, I'm curious, you know, you mentioned panic attacks at college. How frequently yeah. were you having them? Oh, like it got to the point where like I was so overwhelmed with assignments that I got so behind on assignments and and because of my mental health. And then like I started noticing that I was getting behind on, on assignments and then I would start getting the panic attacks at least once a night. Wow. So so every yeah. night at least once you'd go through a panic attack. And, yeah. and were you reaching out for any kind of help at that point for your mental health, any kind of therapy or school counselor or anything? Um, not too much help from the college, more so just because I did, wasn't looking into the college for mental health help. Um, but I did go do some group therapy at, at a at a hospital, okay. like as as an outpatient. On your own volition, were you the one who said, "This is what I need. I need support." I group. basically I'm said, "Yeah." I basically said like enough is enough and I have to go like get it addressed because otherwise like this is not going to be good for my health log run. Yeah. So I, I made that decision to go ahead and do that. And I also went to see a psychiatrist, which is when I started my first, like my very first set of medications. Okay. And how was the support group and how did that work for you? And then I'm curious about the meds as well and, and taking them yeah. for the first time and such. Yeah. So the support group was like, okay. I obviously learned later in life which we'll get we'll get into that like group therapy was not for me but 
I definitely liked learning the tools for first time aspect and I did and and whatnot. I went through that and it was it was good learning the tools. But in terms of like the therapy aspect, there wasn't too much personally that I found in the group. Mm-hmm. Um, was it a of mix of people, different men, yeah. women, adult, like older adults, younger? Yeah, it was a mix. And it, it was was, a, a was it a therapy group where there was a therapist who ran it or was it peers? It was kind of like that, but like they didn't really let you talk too much about your um, your own traumas and like 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 in terms of like emotional trauma, just because they didn't want you triggering somebody else, which right. I which I understand. But at the same time, it was like later in life, which we'll get into later in life. I figured out that one on one was definitely the route for me. Okay, awesome. So you yeah. you end up leaving college. You you're you know, thriving through creating your own business and and radio station and that's going really well. And then really is the next kind of big event. You mentioned, um, a physical accident. Yeah. So, um, oh yeah. So real quick. So I was put on medication like when, after I see a, I saw a psychiatrist, um, and I willingly took that and it was a little difficult getting the, the right dosage at first, but we got there. Um, but then after I graduated high school, um, I continued on with the radio station for quite a bit and the entertainment stuff. So I continued doing the acting and the radio station for a little bit for, for on radio, my acting. And then around the age of about 21 is when I had a pretty significant, uh, trauma, which had essentially involved me falling off of a 50 foot cliff. Oh, you know, go into yeah. details, but it wasn't pretty. Um, I had some very significant injuries, including uh, ruptured aorta, 30 fractures, lacerated spleen, uh, fractured pelvis, uh, brain bleed, um, massive fractures on my spinal cord, and a complete L1 burst in my lower spinal cord. And the only, like, basically at that point, like, I was rushed to hospital. Um, I was put on life support, intubated. Um, I was on life support for about two weeks in a trauma center and I had to go through all that sort of recovery and, and rehab. It took a lot of rehab to get back to where I am now. Wow. So I know you don't want to get into details and that's cool. And if I ask something that's out of bounds or you can't answer, that's fine. I'm, I just want to kind of be clear to the audience, if that's okay, the folks listening that it, it, this was definitely unrelated to your mental health, right? I mean, some people are Correct. like, some people are you know, taking risks because they're suicidal, right? Or something else. But you know for a fact, like, this had nothing to do. It was just an accident unrelated to your mental health and just wanted to make sure that that people knew that. Um, Yeah, yeah. This was, like, like, I was with two friends that night, and um, and honestly, it was a very innocent accident, and it's not something that I uh, was trying to do or something we were being quote-unquote careless about like we were both all three of us were sober the night we went for like a night drive and then um we ended up where we ended up and then i um yeah unfortunately had that accident just a terrible accident that could have happened to anybody essentially walking down the street who has some tragic accident exactly Um, so in the hospital oh my god on life support and you know so how long in the hospital how long rehab what was that path like? So I was in a hospital for almost a year. And that includes wow. the rehab hospital too because even though they call it a rehab hospital, it was honestly basically – to me it wasn't any different because I was still getting lots of medication and I was still being like – you know, um, I was still in a lot of pain and basically in a hospital bed. So 
I would it, yeah, prob- I'm thinking it's probably yeah. exactly like a hospital, but they have more physical therapists there and occupational therapists and are trying to groom you into recovery. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I went basically from the trauma center. I had like five surgeries there. Um, and then I went from there to my home hospital. Um, and then I went from my home hospital down to the rehab hospital. Um, and then after I, I was at the rehab hospital, I, I was released, sent home, and then I ran into some complications. So I ended up back in hospital for a bit. Oh my goodness. And yeah. I know you mentioned heart, the aorta. You broke your back yeah. too, right? I did, yeah. And, and you were I paralyzed? did some yeah. Yeah. So like for the first like little while I was actually stuck in a wheelchair. I could not feel my legs properly at all. And and, um, and doctors at yeah. that point saying, Sorry, you're you're wheelchair bound for life? Or what was yeah. the outlook at that point? They basically turned and said that there's a pretty good chance you're gonna be stuck in a wheelchair. Wow, and how did that land <laughs> with you? Um, not good at first. Yeah. Um, I think honestly, the first set of, like, even when I was just hearing the injuries from the surgeons that operated on me, I think I was just an in initial shock and I couldn't believe that I was actually, first of all, even still alive, but let alone, I now have all these injuries and I was really trying to process it all, but it was the most devastating things you could like hear. Like, honestly, like I, I couldn't, I, I was. Like and my anxiety went to the roof because after hearing the, all those injuries, I was like, "Oh my god, I'm still gonna die!" Like I'm not out of the clear. Like that's the way my mind was going. Right. Is that I have all these injuries and my body's still healing, and what happens if I run to another complication? And I don't survive it, right? So yeah. there's a lot of initial anxiety hearing the news, but then obviously, as I went on, I tried to like just. I, I, the best I could at least try to put the injuries in the back of my mind and try to push on with life. But mm-hmm. it was, it's been to say the least very difficult. And I still, until this day have complications from my injuries. So it's, I'm still not out of the woods, I guess you would say. Wow. And this so, is what, six years later? Yeah, it's going on seven. It's basically seven, seven now at this okay. point. Yeah. And, but you did get out of the wheelchair, right? I did. Yeah. So I do have a cane that I use periodically and um, I don't use it every day, but like on my really bad days when I have significant back pain um, and don't leave the condo, that's basically when I use the the cane. Mm -hmm. Um, But on my good days, you wouldn't really be able to, well, I have a little bit of a hobble, but you wouldn't be able to tell too much that I have actually even had a trauma unless you look at my scars. Right. And so you mentioned some anxiety about hearing about all the injuries and such. What about depression? Did it bring you down into a deep depression, knowing how how long recovery would take and wondering how well you would be able to recover? Oh, definitely. Um, I had like panic attacks numerous times in the hospital where they would have to give me like something like Ativan or or a higher dose of clozapam to basically cause me like calm me down. Um, I uh, was very anxious to the entire recovery period and. Um, I, I guess you would say I am still anxious nowadays as well, um, mm-hmm. but definitely the depression I think is probably the more heavier part currently. I would say currently my depression is probably the worst right now. Really? Yeah. Well, I'm sorry to hear <laughs> that. So how long did it take you to to get out of the, the chair and walk? Because it sounds like they were anticipating you may never walk. Yeah, so the, it's funny because the, the chair was actually – 
only a few months actually because it was only when i was really in hospital that i was wheelchair bound okay um because i had the pelvic fracture as well so they didn't they didn't really test my walking either for the for the first few months because of all the fractures i had right but um it was first they got me standing and that was within hospital that was like them testing to see if i could feel anything in my legs at the time the answer was no so okay we're gonna put him back in the hospital bed and we're gonna try this again another day so a few weeks passed and they tried it again I'm like can you feel anything now while you're standing and i was like yeah like i have like a little bit of feeling in my legs and like you know what that's a really good sign put me back in a hospital bed. we'll try again in a couple weeks again then they stood me up again so it's kind of a process and then finally and I, the video is somewhere up on my social media, actually. I think it's somewhere on my Instagram, if I'm not mistaken. But there is a video of me walking for the very first time. And that wow. was a video my dad took. And it was they, they have the nurse with the wheelchair behind me. And then they have a, a therapist on the on the side of me holding me up. So that those were the very – huge day. Oh, yeah. Like everybody couldn't believe it. Like I remember like there's the nursing station alone. We're all on their feet just kind of watching me down the hallway and like – like basically clapping and like saying that, that you know that's amazing like they couldn't believe it and i couldn't believe it i think i was shocked more or less and you could hear me in the video saying like wow i never could believe i could walk again right. literally my exact words so i mean yeah i was extremely happy though uh, yeah. that day was a really happy moment where i was like hey you know what i can walk now let's see let's see how more like rehab i can do to get you know more better than what i am now right yeah um but it was scary nonetheless, right? Because, I mean, the thing is, the sad part is there's whole, not a whole lot of acting gigs for people in wheelchairs, right? And I, and I think I, you know, I thought at that moment when I was wheelchair bound that that was, gonna, that was it for my career. That was it. That was it for my acting. That was it for, you know, what I was doing. Um, and I was like, it was not a good feeling. I know right. I was like, and yeah, I know like there's, there's obviously some roles out there for people in wheelchairs, like acting-wise and stuff, but it doesn't come up too often, right, you know? Right, right. So, I mean, it was a scary thought to think that I'm going to lose my career. I'm going to lose the stuff that, that I really have a passion about, right? Yeah. And you, you mentioned, you know, them loading you up with more drugs like Ativan and such if you were having a panic attack. What about yeah. just the typical day? I mean, there must have been times when you were really down with your depression and were you having any therapy when you were there? Were they addressing any of the mental health needs? Or was it strictly just, ooh, that's a panic attack. Let's get that, you know, acute help. And then that was it. And not really even considering or addressing the mental health aspect while you were in recovery. So the rehab hospital was really good with the peer support. Because of the fact that I did have a spinal cord injury, I was down at Lynnhurst, which is Toronto Rehab, um, and they specialize in spinal cord injury. And they actually, through uh, Spinal Cord Injury Ontario, they actually have an office in that hospital, and they actually offer peer support to come to your room. So I actually had a nice guy by the name of Ian that came to my room, and he was wheelchair bound, and he basically was talking about you know being in a wheelchair and and, and talking about. Um, a lot just kind of just being there for me as a friend, right? Because, I mean, one thing that I did have when I was in hospital, um, what I noticed was that the people that I called my friends at the time stopped showing up. Like, I did have mm. the odd visitor, but I the people that I thought were my friends yeah. didn't end up showing to, to, to visit me, and that obviously really hurt. But um, 
you know, it was really awesome that the that the rehab hospital had that peer support. Now, yeah. in terms of the like the uh, like the emergency hospitals I were at uh, for recovery, um, like the trauma center and my home hospital, yes, they did have psychiatry come see me. They also did have the odd therapist come see me, but it wasn't very often because of obviously. You know, it I I don't well actually I don't really know why it wasn't like I don't know why they didn't have more therapy come see me, yeah. but um, but it you know, they were more so focused on my physical stuff for right, sure, right? Like you know, I, I I hate separating the two because being a mental health advocate and struggling with it, I. I would love for people to kind of consider mental health as a physical thing as well because you feel very real physical symptoms that absolutely. are absolutely frightening, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah. That, uh, you know, it always surprises me when I hear about people with, especially like progressive chronic debilitating illnesses when their doctors never ask them about their mental health or somebody going through a new cancer diagnosis. And you do hear about the some that have awesome doctors that do check in about the mental health or do recommend starting to think about a therapist and such. But it surprises me how many times that, that it isn't mentioned at all. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, you mentioned how some of your friends stopped coming by and such. It's interesting because I do still go to a peer support group. It's not through a therapist. It's just peers uh, for men with depression and anxiety. And somebody there recently, I think it might have just been the last time I was there, mentioned like, yeah, going through a major depression or something like that, you quickly find out who your real friends are, right? Who exactly. leaves you by the wayside, who doesn't come and check on you. And I do like to give a little bit of grace. You know, some people just don't know how to react or what to say, and it could be tough on their end. But yeah, you'd think they'd at least call, reach out, check in. Wow. What a what a battle. And you said you're still dealing with some of the aftermath. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, so, I, I mean, when it comes to the cardiac stuff, for example, I have an aortic stent. And there's, even after doing surgery, there's been a couple of complications because of that. In terms of my chronic pain, that is on the daily. I don't think there's a single day that I don't wake up without any pain. And then obviously like lots of nerve pain because of the fact that I damaged my spinal cord and I damaged my left arm pretty badly as well. So, I mean, considering all the damage that was done to my body, yes, um, every day is a struggle for me, but amazingly, there's been a lot of awesome things that I've been able to do yeah. um, on my um, on my really good days. And honestly, that's what I'm still here for. And, you know, Beyond the mental health side of things, I even got EMR certified, which is extremely hard, difficult thing to do. Um, but it's something that I wanted to do because after spending all that time in hospital, I wanted to be able to help others out. And, yeah, and um, tell us what that yeah. stands for, emergency. Yeah, it stands for emergency medical responder. So, okay, awesome. So basically, those are your people that are doing stuff like event medical, some patient transfers. Yeah. Um. Uh. They they some EMRs go on to basically do in, instructor training and stuff like that. Uh. So yeah. So basically, I'm at like the EMR level right now. Okay. Um. And I went through. I had to get my standard first aid first, and then you do your like healthcare provider CPR, and then your. Wow. Your 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 um your first responder level and then you do your EMR level and it, it's definitely a complicated course but it's it's it, I guess because of all the stuff I was listening to in hospital it just became almost natural to me in the most weirdest way right. so I kind of um obviously struggle with some things like you know 
they have you do everything like ambulance, you know, related stuff and whatnot and lifting the patient certain ways. Yeah. And that's yeah. one thing that I had to semi opt out out of okay. out of meaning that i like i had to kind of take a stand back and i told the instructor like i'm like listen i can't lift that patient like my back is gonna is gonna break like right, i right so but in terms of like treating patients i've become decently good at that that's so awesome congratulations yeah. that's really a cool accomplishment no it is and honestly like i i i'm gonna be honest like going into it i wanted to do it because i had a passion for it and whatnot but at the same time i was like am I going to be able to pass this course? I'm like, am I going to be able to do this? Yeah. And, uh, you know, sure enough, I was able to, but it took a lot of like, you know, pushing myself and a lot of, a lot of, you know, learning books and just a lot of learning about the human body even more and stuff like that. And, and I appreciated that because of like, I guess like all the trauma, physical trauma stuff that I went through, I, I wanted to be able to at least try to be there to help save others. Yeah. So that's why I kind of signed myself up for it. I'm like, listen, it's like I only got one life. I don't know how much longer I'm going to live for. So beyond the mental health speaking side of things, let's see if I can help people out physically as well. So that's signed awesome. myself up for it. <laughs> that is really cool. And so you have, correct me if I'm wrong, but you have been able to get back to the acting, correct? Um, yeah, yeah. I have been doing acting stuff um, periodically. Um, there's obviously moments, like I said, that uh, this I can't do certain stuff. Like unfortunately, there has been auditions that I've had to opt out of to do certain reasons. Uh-huh. But for the most part, yes. And there is actually an acting project that we're working on behind the scenes right now. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, I thought one of your just from uh, checking out some of your stuff, I thought that one of your newest projects was really recent, the psychological horror film. Yeah, exactly. So the Injustices is actually a project that was a pilot project. And we shot that back in like 2018. Um, And we did the premiere in 2019. And we just published the two pilot episodes recently. Um, But the cool thing about it is that without releasing too much because of NDAs, um, we are we are currently working on more episodes. That is so So, cool. And that, you, you know, if you're talking 2018, the first with the pilot production, that's yeah. that's only two years out from your accident, right? Uh, yeah. So that's yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. So congratulations on that too. And then I did want to just mention a little bit more about your acting because man, it sounds really pretty cool. I checked out a little bit of. Um, it seems like, and I don't know a lot of these shows myself, and some we don't have access to. I think maybe here in the U.S., but uh, Degrassi sounded like a, a pretty big hit, and you were in that a bit. Yeah, so I was played a supporting role in that. Wish wish I could have auditioned for a lead role, but uh, you know, you take what you get in the acting world. Yeah, uh, and that's kind of like great. a high school show, and they go through a lot of different social issues. I think for high school kids, it seemed like exactly. It's it's very much based around that. So it's based around you know, there's even a suicide in one of the episodes. So it goes pretty deep into that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I played a supporting role in, in, in one of those uh, in one of those episodes, um, and that was kind of like the kickoff. That was actually one of my very first acting gigs. That okay, I did. what year was that? That, that would have been at least two thousand and ten. Okay, so that was a while ago. But right. um, gotcha. But yeah, it was like my very first like kind of kickoff acting gig, and then from there I kind of just went on to do other stuff like like big commercials with like big brands like LG Canada. Cool. Um, I did a few Cineplex commercials. Um, yeah, it was, it just kind of 
like that was like the instant kickoff. Like the second I had Degrassi on my resume, they were like, "Huh, okay." And like I started getting picked up for gigs, and that I appreciated is, it so much. That is really cool. I know a couple other yeah. names that I saw, like Paranormal Witness and Splatalot. Yeah, Splatalot was really fun actually. So it's a reality-based show, and uh, it's kind of like Wipeout. So when okay, I was a that's kid, what I was wondering. Yeah, so we actually I filmed that in high school as well, and. Um, Essentially, it's 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 like Wipeout. So like it, the contestants on the show were actors, to say the least. Like they were basically um, with agencies and stuff like that. But we but we were selected to basically go on the show and try to complete these obstacle courses. And I gotta tell you, it looks somewhat simple when you watch it, but it really was not. They soap. <laughs> they literally doused the entire obstacle course in soap oh and like goodness. we we were like slipping and sliding everywhere falling and the foam was actually decently hard so when you felt like it you you still felt the impact like it <laughs> wasn't just like it, it wasn't just like you know like soft foam this stuff was actually kind of hard so wow um, yeah that so, is I mean, crazy it was, it was fun yeah it yeah. sounds like a lot of fun um and then you know there was a show that i th- oh well my first question before i get into that is so splat a lot sounds hilarious and if we were if somebody is to google that do you think they, there's access to find Corey dixon on splat a lot i've got to find that episode I, it it definitely might be there i know the, <laughs> i know the, i know the episode name the episode name was actually splat a lot shoved shoved by a rainbow i think it was <laughs> okay. that, that was that was the name of the episode that is and awesome. it, it was it was funny because for how little you're on screen for because like they have to film like multiple like kids at that time we were all kids you know um in they had to film multiple kids in the same episode, right? So when we got on set, we actually had these cool, like, little tents that had. We had the uniforms. We had, like, you know, food was supplied. Um, and we were, the, the kids were brought to and from set as they were needed, right? So as they, as in the order, right? So basically, the kids that I met on that show, like, including myself, like, we all, as kids, were, uh, like, we became, like, almost like a little family for the day, right? That's Cause, awesome. Like, we're all like actor. We're all like young actors, right? So we're all like playing like soccer in the field as we wait for our call time and stuff. And we're all there just kind of waiting on set, anxious to see what the obstacle course looks like. And then they finally take you there one by one and you stand and you're like, holy crap, this is huge. <laughs> it's like, it's a big obstacle course. Like there was so much to it. And like, like I said, they soaped everything. So you t- you made one wrong step and you're like sliding down and falling off. It's just, it's, it's a, uh, it was fun, but Damn, did some of it hurt? I got shot in the I got shot in the head with a tennis ball. Okay. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's a, that yeah. is hilarious. I got to find that. So there, I noticed another show, and for some reason, you seemed to not highlight it, and I can't help but managing mentioning it because I'm so curious about it. Party yeah. Mamas, I believe, was a reality show you were on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, it very much so was. So that was, that was another reality show that I was on. Um, I guess I can say it now because I'm no longer really. I have no contract with them as of now. Um, so basically, it, it was a scripted reality TV show. So I think a lot of people think when they see reality TV, it's it's all um, it's all very real, and maybe some of it is. Uh-huh. But this was essentially all scripted. So we went into this being like, okay, like. It's another acting gig for Corey. It's, in, it's on a television show. Let's do it. And at the time, I didn't know, like, like how bad they were going to make me look. <laughs> like, and my dad, like, because here's the thing. Like, they, so essentially the story plot was, like, a, a kid having a CD launch party for his song, right? So essentially... <laughs> So essentially, like, they wanted my dad to actually play in this, too. So my dad was, like, hesitant. He was like, oh, my God, I'm not an actor. And then, and then, 
my agent actually pushed him to do it. My dad actually acted in a Ford commercial. Okay. So, so like he was not an actor, but he's been picked to do acting roles here and there. So I was like, dad, like, come on, let's do it. So he's like, yeah, finally. Sure. But they made him and I look like complete idiots. <laughs> like, I kid you not. Like I, I, I kid you not. Like they made me look like, like such a bratty kid. And they made my dad look like such a jerk. And like my dad got hate mail to his business. Oh, and no. we, and, yeah. And we were like, no, 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 no. Like, no, no, no. It wasn't, it's not like that. Trust me. He's a good dad. Um, <laughs> But they made us look terrible, and like I didn't <laughs> signing up for it. I really wasn't expecting all that, but that um, funny. it was still fun. Like it was nonetheless. It was it was a TV set, so they had a camera and guys lights lighting guys there, and you know they they made the sh- they made the calls. Um, all like everything that I was saying, everything my dad was saying was scripted. Like we basically right, were told right. what to say. That so is funny. But then when they added it together and they cut certain things out, like it was funny because we, when, when we were on set, like if we were saying it like, okay, like this makes sense and it came off like really nice and whatnot. But then they twisted it where it's like <laughs> they cut off certain scenes where it made us look like really, really bad. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and, no. and I, yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, like never again. But it was, it was fun. It was fun. But like, honestly, like, mm, no, like if I don't want people viewing me like that, you know, <laughs> that is so funny. So, so this is awesome. You're doing, I'm excited for you to be in your new gig doing injustice injustices. And, yes. uh, I also, you know, I want to hear, I know you do a lot, uh, not just your through Twitter of your advocacy work, but I'd love to hear more about some of the events you've even been a part of. Yeah. So, I mean, like beyond me just doing the talking and stuff like that, which I've talked at several events, including some high schools and stuff like that. But beyond that, um, I wanted to take it into my own hands to get some like really awesome artist friends of mine that are also known in the industry and um, some in- other influencers to kind of partner up with me to host different events. And we uh, we did exactly that. We did uh, two charity events for CAMH. Um, we did one in Kingston, Ontario, and we did another one in Toronto. And then we raised the money for CAMH, which is a great uh, mental health hospital in Toronto. And then we also did a charity event for um, for Jack.org. I think we actually did two. I think we, I, I'm pretty sure we actually did two events for Jack.org as well, uh, if, if, I, if I remember correctly. But yeah, like we we did actually a live stream uh, during COVID with obviously following all the proper procedures and protocols, we did a, um, a live stream online. So we actually had a guy come out with his film equipment and we set up like this um, whole setup. I think it's on my Instagram somewhere, actually. I, I actually took some behind the scene photos, but you can actually go on there and uh, look at it there. And then I can't remember the link off the top of my head, but it's got to be out there still because we have the, um, the live stream link video somewhere still. But, uh, but yeah, we did that. We raised some money for Jack.org and I, I was happy because like we went from like obviously starting off this stream, investing our money into it and not making anything at all to basically making money for a great cause for, for Jack.org. So that is awesome. Uh, That's really cool. Yeah. And do you have any plans in the future? Or are you hoping to do some more fundraising like that around uh, your mental health advocacy? I definitely want to. I think the biggest struggle for these type of events is that there's people think like it's always like free work, but it's really not like I have to like, 
in order to organize these events properly and get out like you know a, a headlining artist or something like that you still got to pay money for these people right so even like just the camera guys or the staging equipment guys you still have to pay money for them obviously right. so i think the biggest struggle with these events is like you're not making any money right so the thing is you're 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 investing money into a great cause and you're raising money for this charity, but you also have to kind of watch your own finances, right? So yeah. I think that's the biggest issue for me personally is that like I have, I have real life bills that I got to pay. I have like stuff that I got to pay for. So I can't always be doing charity events, but it's definitely something that if I had like millions and millions of dollars or just even like a few hundred thousand, I would definitely do it. I'd be like, you know what, let's put like at least ten or twenty thousand dollars aside for the, these charity events, and let's host it. And I'd be totally down to do that. It's just a matter of, though, for me is that I have to space out and watch my finances as well, so I can host these events properly. Right, right. Well, you're still young enough that your acting career is about to skyrocket. I'm sure of it. And then maybe you'll be in that situation. Hey, you know what? Fingers crossed. I tell everybody, like, it's funny because some of my friends are like, oh, you got to verify Twitter. Are you famous? And it's like, <laughs> it's like, to be real, I hate the word famous. Like, I, when people call me that, I'm more so just like, I'm more so, listen, guys, I'm a public figure and I'm an actor, but I'm a normal dude, too. Like, I'm, <laughs> right. I, I don't like to see myself as famous, you know? Like, I, that's, that's not where I, I, you know, it's not. Here's the thing. I want to, gr- to grow a following, but I don't want to be f- famous for the wrong reasons in other words i'm not looking for the paparazzi attention i'm not looking for the billions upon billions of dollars i i I just want to be able to be noticed so that way i can spread more awareness about mental health and have a better platform to do the mental health advocacy stuff and whatnot that's what i really want it for i don't want it for all the money in the world i don't want it for the attention i i really want to focus the attention on good causes. That's what I want to do. That's awesome. That's really awesome. And it's clear just from this interview that that's what you're about. You know, you even said it yourself on Twitter. You're not talking about all the entertainment gig you do, gigs you do and the shows you're talking mental health because that's your passion and that's what you want to do. And I just, I really admire you for utilizing your platform for the sake of advocating around mental health. I think it's phenomenal and you're down to earth. You're sharing your story it's all real, and I hope that as you do get more and more famous, that that you're able to stay centered. I'm not concerned at all, actually. I'm sure you will, you know, because some people it does get to their head, and they they do forget about all the good work that could be done utilizing that platform. No, absolutely, and I think like at this point, the only thing that's going to be holding me down is going to be some industry people. Like I hate to say it, but right. some of the industry some of the industry people don't want you know, all the sad stuff to be really talked about much. They want more positive like right. notes and stuff. But the reality is, is if we don't talk about the reality of mental health and that there are a lot of sad parts to the mental health side of things, then then how are we ever going to grow awareness and stuff? We have to talk about those, you know, attempts. Absolutely. We have to talk about, you know, like crying on somebody's shoulder. One of my most recent tweets was sometimes we need, we need to just cry on or lean on somebody's shoulder. Yeah. Like, you know, like, we're not always happy. And I just feel like the entertainment industry has this standard where they want everything to be happy. And it's like, that's not, that's not how we should view it. That's not how it should be. Right. right? And it's like, if I tell you that I have depression right now, I don't want you turning around and saying, you're not going to hire me for an acting gig or take me on for a gig because you think I'm too depressed. Like, I'm sorry, but like, I will be at your event that you 
take me on for. I will be there. I might, you know, I might share more more of my depression side than you want, but like, that's the whole point. That's why I'm a mental health advocate, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So I know uh, if people want to find out more about you or connect with you, I know you've got your own website at CoreyDixon.com, correct? That's correct, yep. And then can they find all of your other media platforms like your Instagram, Twitter, and such all on from that uh, website? Yeah, absolutely. And to make it real easy, my Twitter and Instagram are the same. It's just Corey Dixon, C-O-R-E-Y, last name Dixon, D-I-X-O-N, and then the number 33. That's both my Twitter and my Insta. And uh, my Facebook is literally just Corey Dixon, so it's pretty straightforward. But awesome. if they if they need the links, it's yeah, it's on my website for sure. Okay, cool. Um, w- any uh, meaning of the 33? Um, <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> so back before I had my physical trauma, um, I was also doing car racing and go-kart racing. Cool. So, yeah. So it was kind of like a hobby of mine. So uh, that was actually my racing number. And I won a few races with it. So I called up my lucky number ever since. And that's the reason why it was 33. That is awesome. No more go-karting? No, 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 <laughs> no, no, not since the trauma stuff, unfortunately. I don't even think, listen, just sitting down in a go-kart, I think my back would, like, crunch, so. Right, right. We did, we did, like, one, like, thing called Corey's Crazy Karting Adventure. We did film that um, not too long after my trauma, but the and the cool thing about that was that, um, you know, camera magic, camera about to spoil something, camera <laughs> magic, you can speed things up. So we made the go-kart purposely look faster. Um, it was a double seated go-kart, but realistically we were going super slow and not just that, but the seats like on my side were extra padded. So that way it felt like I was sitting on a, on a, on a cloud. So I mean, <laughs> so, so yeah, awesome. so, so that's the closest I ever got back into a racing vehicle. And that's, I can't even call it a racing vehicle. Right. It was like a, just as slow as a golf cart. So uh, I mean, it still sounds like an awesome deal. <laughs> So, um, you know, before we wrap up, I'd love to ask you, I try to ask this on every show, uh, what's the largest piece of advice, the most significant piece of advice you would have to offer if, you know, the, if somebody is listening to this show right now going through, you know, a, a depression or even something like you, like you did with a physical trauma that, and trying to deal with it, what piece of advice would you give them? So I'm going to say this, um, you are going to have your, unfortunately, you're going to battle with your mental health issues for the rest of your life. It's going to be with you. And I think way too many people nowadays try to look for that magic pill and it distracts them from getting the true help they need. Focus on getting therapy, focus on, I hate to say it, like I hate my meds, but I know they help. So I stay on them. But if you absolutely have to get on medication and see a psychiatrist, then do it. You know, I would say, you need to be yourself and you also have to look out for yourself too. You know, if you don't look out for your mental health, then you're not going to end up in a good state and you're going to end up deteriorating. And whether you want to believe it or not, that's going to be up to you. But trust me when I say I, I've been through the hell and back and I've learned very slowly but surely what what helps me personally. And everyone has their own ways of coping. And as long as you're coping in a healthy way, and not resorting to like alcohol or drugs, then you're, 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 you know, you'll be a, you'll be in a better spot. Are you going to be 150% all the time? Absolutely not. But will you be at least a little bit better to the point where you could start to cope a little better? I, I think you get to that point as long as you push yourself for that. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome advice. 
Well, Corey, I want to wish you the best with your acting career and your new, your latest project. I hope it goes really, really well for you. And uh, I also, I want to thank you for all the advocacy you're doing. It's so awesome. I know I said it, but I think it's worth saying again. I really admire the fact that you are using your platform for such good. And we need more people to do that. I know there are a lot out there, but we can always use more. And I, I really admire that. So thank you for doing that. And also, finally, thank you for all of this time uh, to, to join me for the interview. I really appreciate you being on The Depression Files. No, absolutely. And once again, thank you so much for having me, because if it wasn't for people like yourself giving me a platform to be able to share my story and to be able to talk about mental health publicly, you know, we wouldn't be able to get our voices out. Right. So yeah, these these type of shows and the stuff that you do as well is super important to mental health advocates like myself. So thank you for having me. All right. Well, thanks again, Corey. And uh, make sure you stay healthy. Yes, you as well. All right. Thank you for listening to The Depression Files. Please know that if you are currently suffering from depression and are experiencing thoughts of suicide, please reach out for help. In the U.S., you can text 741741 to connect with a trained crisis counselor, or you can go to suicide.org for a list of international suicide hotlines. If you're a man who has experienced depression or any other mental illness and would like to be interviewed for the show, or if you'd simply like to suggest a topic, please reach out to me on Twitter at AlLevin18 or email me at thedepressionfiles at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening to The Depression Files. 